0: Good morning, Orchard Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Well, uh, you may notice I am not Pastor Doug, um, although we are equally equally good looking. Uh, My name is Ryan Singleton. I'm the student ministry director. I oversee our middle school and high school ministries. Uh, Pastor Doug is actually not with us this morning. Him and Shelly, they had an awesome opportunity to be able to go down to Texas to see their son Caleb play baseball opening weekend. So that's where he's at, making sure that he's putting family first and exactly where he needs to be. Amen. Amen. So we have the awesome privilege today of hearing from our new executive pastor, Ryan Dickinson. Now, I want to make sure to, you know, kind of, you know, explain this. I know this is Ryan introducing Ryan. We are two different people, okay? And so there's Ryan Singleton. There's Ryan Dickinson, our executive pastor. And you might even be thinking, okay, well, what exactly does an executive pastor do? I don't know. I have no idea what an executive pastor does, but here are the things that I do know, okay? I do know that the cool thing is that he was actually um, um, found within our church. Him and his family have been coming to our church for five years. And so uh, the cool thing is we found him from within. And uh, not only that, you guys, but um, um, one of the things I've always said is I know an executive pastor does all the things that Pastor Doug doesn't want to do. And so that is put on his plate. Um, But you guys, um, the other thing I know is that he is my boss. So, with that said, you guys, he is amazing, okay? This guy is so good. I mean, he's really, really good. He's both handsome and humble, as well. And also, third and finally, he has the best haircut and hairstyle that the world has ever seen. And some of you will know what I'm talking about here in a little bit, as we welcome to stage, Ryan Dickinson. You know, it does
1: take effort to achieve this kind of look on a daily basis. Thank you, Ryan, for the introduction. Appreciate it. Hey, uh, good morning, Orchard Church. So glad to be with you today. Um, If you'll turn to the book of Galatians, it's in your New Testament, the book of Galatians chapter 3 on your Bible or your mobile device. Uh, Before we get there, as Ryan mentioned, um, when Pastor Doug gets back next week, we will be picking up our series in Elijah. Um, For me, I know growing up and and learning the Bible, Elijah and Elisha always caused me a little bit of confusion, which one's which. My favorite way of telling them apart is that there's a a passage in 2 Kings that that shows that Elisha is, shall we say, follically challenged, much like myself. And so the story records that he's going from one place to another in Israel. It's a contentious time. There's people that don't actually really want him there. And so he's going, and this group of boys, this group of young people come out and basically say, hey, Baldy, go home. Baldy, get out of here. And I love it because it records that Elisha turned, and he says, it says he cursed him in the name of the Lord. Now the Bible doesn't record what words Elisha actually used. I can think of a few I would have used, but probably shouldn't repeat them on stage. But he cursed him in the name of the Lord, and lo and behold, two bears came out of the woods. And mauled 42 of the boys. So why did I share that story with you? Well, number one, I want you to understand Elijah starts again next week, so please come back. Number two, I want you to realize that Elisha is bald and probably very handsome, right? And number three, that just kind of general as you walk out of here today, don't mess with bald guys. Just don't mess. Can I get an amen from the bald guys in the house? Amen. Amen. Don't mess with us. So, glad to be here with you. So what does an executive pastor actually do? Well, um, as we've grown, Orchard Church, as we've grown, there's just more and more and more stuff that needs to be managed, right? So... My job is to kind of come in and help Pastor Doug manage the daily operations of the church. There's a lot of moving parts, Uh, so I help manage the staff. We've got this building project you might have seen that's going on next door, right? How many are excited about that one? I'm excited about it because a couple of weeks ago, a group of us, we got to go out to Wichita, Kansas, which it's hard to get excited about Wichita, but there is a model of the building that we have out there. And it's going to be phenomenal, y'all. It, it, it's just going to be awesome. So that's going up and should be open, we hope, by Thanksgiving. And we can, uh, we can have services there. So um, bottom line is my job, in one sentence, is as we grow, is to continue to help Orchard Church help people find and follow Jesus with excellence. Bottom line. And so that's why I'm on board. And speaking of excellence, I just got to tell on a few people, um, I came on board January 1st, and what I've been surprised about, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but is just the level of excellence. I knew that coming towards your church for the last five years, but the level of excellence, both from Pastor Doug, the staff, all of our hundreds of volunteers that it takes to make everything happen every week, uh, just excellent. So they do an awesome job. Let's give it up for our staff and our volunteers that make every Sunday happen. There's a lot of passion and love and just excellence that goes into everybody's work. And that's one reason that my family and I stuck here at Orchard Church a few years back and, and the major reason that I wanted to come on board on staff. I wasn't necessarily looking for a job when Pastor Doug approached me, but God came looking for me in the process. And so over a couple of months, we talked back and forth. And uh, I came out of the business world the last 22 years, uh, had... Uh, a couple different positions in the corporate world, I helped found and grow a couple of different companies over that time. I came to know Jesus 19 years ago, it doesn't seem that long, but it's 19 years ago, and I've had a, also had a foot in local church ministry ever since. My first position in any local church was as a teacher's aide in the preschool class of our children's church. I said that first service and our family pastor was in the back, he said, amen, amen. Because we're always looking for help there, obviously. But I, that's where I started. And in the local church, I've held almost every position except for singing. You don't want that, trust me. Um, or playing a musical instrument. But between that and executive pastor. So I've, I've seen a lot in church. I've seen a lot that is awesome. Even seen some stuff that's not so awesome. But bottom line is I had a lot of experience over the last 19 years. I'd like to introduce you to my family if I could. That's us, the pretty one in the middle there. That's my wife, Sarah. Um, We'll celebrate 15 years of marriage this July. Yeah. Thank you. That that applause is for her because she puts up with me and these other three. Um, So we have three sons. We have Zach, uh, who is 12. We have Tyler, who is 10. And we have... Owen, who is eight, and there's a scripture in, in Genesis where Jacob is calling his firstborn Reuben, that a firstborn son is the beginning of my strength. Well, I've got the beginning, the middle, and the end of my strength right there. <laughs> they're all going to be bigger than I am, um, and so i got to discipline them while they're young. Speaking of that, you know, we were walking into church one day last year, it was shortly after my last birthday, and my oldest, Zach, 12... Walks up, puts his arm around me because he can pretty much right now without really having to reach up. And he goes, Dad, how old are you now? I said, well, I'm 44, son. He said, man, you don't even look 40. And, and in my mind, I'm like, aw, can I buy him a pony? <laughs> but then he looks at me and he says, yeah, you're way too short to be 40. Yeah, he's still alive, and he gets to sleep inside on the cold nights even, but, uh, but, you know, we, we have a lot of fun as a family. One of the things that we love as a family are animals, and so because of that, we moved from Reunion out to a, a little piece of land out east of Brighton uh, here about a year and a half ago, and so we have, we have 12 chickens, and we have three rabbits, and we have a dog, and yes, we own cats. And the groan for you first-time visitors—the groan coming from the congregation—it's pretty well known around here that Pastor Doug does not; he's just not fond of the felines. Let's put it that way. And so he hired me anyway, which means it's God, right? Right. The cats are a funny story because our neighbor had a litter of kittens, and the boys wanted to go see the kittens. Dad, can we see the kittens? Can we see the kittens? Can we see the kittens? And then they go see the kittens, and says, Dad, can we get the kittens? Can we get the kittens? Can we get the kittens? And so me, being the head of my household, <clears throat> I sat down at the kitchen table. It's me on one side, it's Sarah and my three boys on the other. Because see, they wanted, they wanted three cats, one for each boy. I wanted zero cats. So we compromised and we got three cats. So you might be wondering, hey, this, this new executive pastor, Mr. Handel of the business operations of the church, is he just a bad negotiator? And I would say what you might deem poor negotiation, I deem as discernment, because as Pastor Doug taught us earlier this year in our I Choose series, sometimes you've got to choose your hill to die on in your relationships, right? You can't die on every hill, especially with your spouse and your children. And so I thought about that, and I thought, well, you know what? They've never, ever, 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 ever in the history of ever— made a movie about a guy who died on Three Kitten Hill. It's never happened. So I chose not to die on that hill. Now that we have that out of the way, and you know who I am a little bit about me, I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you have ever done something foolish? Come on. Yeah. I just admitted I have three cats, right? Okay. How many of you parents specifically... Have you ever left home for any period of time, a minute, an hour, hours, days, only to find out that your children have done something foolish while you were gone. Right? Right, exactly. That's kind of the situation we have here in Galatians, is the Apostle Paul, who was like the first church planter in the Bible, he his job was to go around and 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 preach the gospel, and he'd go to places and preach the gospel and establish churches. And as group of believers, groups of believers congregated, he would set in structure and leadership, and then he would move on. Well, he did that in a place called Galatia. And Galatia, is modern day, would be about central Turkey. And in Galatia, he went and founded this church and built it up, and then he traveled on, and his, the Galatians started acting a little bit foolish. And so Paul finds out about this, and he writes them a letter. You know, today it would be a text to the kid or cell phone call or checking in over the Wi-Fi security camera when they don't even know you're watching. Kids, think about that. But, but back then, it was a letter. It was a letter. So Paul wrote a letter, and that letter became what we know as the book of Galatians. And so we start in Galatians chapter 3, verse, verses 1 through 3. It's kind of, a, kind of a long passage, but we'll get through it here. Paul starts with oh foolish galatians he's not mincing words right and so he says who has cast an evil spell on you that we would say that today is what are you thinking who has cast an evil spell on you for the meaning of jesus christ's death made as clear to you was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross so what he's saying is hey i know you didn't see jesus crucified but i explained it to you as clearly as if you had seen it yourself He says, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? What were you thinking? How foolish could you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? What Paul is saying is, you know the meaning of Jesus' death. You know that his death paid for all sin. You know that his death set you free. And now you're trying to somehow add to it with your own effort and justify yourselves. What he's saying to them is, don't go back to that. In your notes you have this. It's it's when Christ sets you free, stay free. That's what Paul's saying. When Christ sets you free, stay free. So what happened? What happened in Galatia? Paul left. They started acting foolish. The first thing they did was they took their eyes off Jesus, and they started measuring their worth against each other. You had a Gentile faction in the church, and you had a Jewish faction in the church, and they kind of started looking at each other going, huh, I wonder, so these guys, they, they believe in Jesus, but you know they're saying that we need to be circumcised too. I wonder, does that make you more spiritual? that qualify you somehow at a higher level than if you don't? They're looking at each other, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And my favorite president of all time, Theodore Roosevelt, says it this way, comparison is the thief of joy. And so that's what was happening. They, they, they abandoned the simple good news, the joy of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, and that through faith in him, we receive the grace of God, and we're in right relationship. They abandoned that, and they started trying to add to it Comparing their worth to each other and making what I would call unwise comparisons. You know, we do this today still. It's not just for then, it's for now. I know growing up, man, the only thing I wanted to be in the whole world as a kid, the only thing I wanted to be was a great athlete. I loved sports. I had a ball in my hand from the time I could walk. And I, seriously, my sister would never play catch with me. I'd play catch with myself. I'd be out just throwing the ball up in the air and catching it. I wanted to be a great athlete. Now, the problem was I had an older cousin who was five or six years older than me. And we both grew up in these little towns in northeastern Colorado. And my older cousin went to a high school that played six-man football. How many of you have ever played or heard of six-man football? Yeah, exactly. Very small school. And so my cousin who played at a a little high school that played six-man football in the middle of nowhere, Colorado, got named to the USA Today All-American team. Of every high school in America, he got picked for his position. And so he had a high ceiling, and that set a high bar for me and my expectations. Because, see, I was the kid, I was five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing, and I was a kid senior year in high school, you know, I'm working hard, trying to be a great football player, trying to be an athlete, my defensive coordinator comes up to me and says, you know, Dickinson, you're too small, but you make up for it by being too slow. <laughs> that was an unwise comparison for me to make, me against my, my cousin, because, you know what, all I saw was the distance between here and here. I wasn't worried about what I could do, I was only worried about what I couldn't do. And so that was an unwise comparison, made me feel unworthy. And you have this in your notes, that when Christ sets you free, you don't have to make unwise comparisons to measure your worth. And we still do that, we still do that today. Come on, guys. A lot of us, we, we spend a lot of time, more than we care to admit, in front of this comparison machine called Facebook, right? Where we view each other's highlight reels and compare it to our behind the scenes. We all have that friend that, you know, they've got the great car, they've got the great job, they're somehow always on vacation and always at church at the same time. I don't know how that works. (laughs) And to top it off, you know, they could be on the cover of a a fashion magazine, GQ or Vogue. And I look at that and and I look at myself and go, huh, I drive an old pickup truck. I like my job. We go on vacation maybe once a year, and it's usually somewhere where we can drive. And the only GQ magazine you'd find me on is if you put a pointy hat and suspenders on me and put me on the cover of Gnome Quarterly. (laughs) Sarah said that one wouldn't go over real well. I should have listened to her. Anyway, Paul says it this way, Galatians 6, 4. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. I want you to hear what the Word of God is saying here, because it's important. What the Word of God is saying here is you, you're worth much, and you have a purpose. And your Facebook friends, they're worth much, and they have a purpose. And we're all free to be happy in our own worth and purpose. We don't need to compare our, somebody else's highlights to our behind the scenes. If you agree with that, say yes. yes. So the problem with unwise comparisons, because that's what that is, is that they often lead to misguided efforts. Unwise comparisons often lead to misguided efforts. And that's what was happening in the Galatian church. They were teaching, that actually became, they were teaching to add obedience to the law of Moses, to the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that somehow both of those were needed to pay for sin. In other words, they were teaching that you needed to pay for something that was already paid for. So in your notes, you have this as well, that when Christ sets you free, your freedom is paid for. Don't try to repurchase it with your works. And we'll unpack that here a little bit. Question, how many of you have ever walked into a restaurant and you're going to lunch and you walk by a table and it's somebody you know, so you say hi and you chat a little bit and then you go sit down to have your meal. And at the end of the meal, your, your server comes over and, and you ask for the bill and, and they inform you, well, no, your bill's been taken care of. Your friend paid it. How many of you have ever had that happen to you? Awesome. It's a glorious thing when that happens, right? How many of you have ever done that for somebody else? Great. Hey, where are y'all going to lunch today? (laughs) And can I come? But imagine that you're in that situation, that, that you're there and you've finished your meal, the server comes over, and somebody has paid the bill for you. Your friend has paid the bill for you. But instead of saying thank you, instead of going, wow, that's awesome, you know, I stand, I'm i going to go wash dishes to earn my meal. I want my meal to be more paid for somehow. I'm going to go wash dishes. And the server tries to explain to you, look, sir, your, your meal's paid for. You don't have to, nope, 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 I'm washing dishes. So you march back to the kitchen. You walk back there and, and you start washing, you see the stack of dishes, you start washing dishes. Yep, I'm going to make this more paid for. Next thing you know, somebody comes up beside you and, They don't work there either. But they start washing dishes. See, it turns out your friend had more than one friend in the restaurant that he paid the bill for, and so they come in and they start washing dishes. Next thing you know, you're looking over at them. Like, I can wash dishes better than this guy. They don't call me Mr. Clean for nothing, right? So you start washing dishes faster and faster. And he's looking over at you. Oh, yeah? washing them faster and faster and faster. plates start stacking up, so you're like, oh, well, I can sweep the floor and mop the floor too, so you start doing that, and then he starts doing that, and you've got these giant stacks of dishes that are going on, and more dirty dishes are coming in, and next thing you know, the kitchen manager comes back, and he's he's yelling at you because you're not doing a good enough job, there's still dirty dishes, there's still a dirty floor, and you realize, wait a minute, I'm back here washing dishes at a job that I don't even have, I don't even work here, trying to pay for a meal that's already been paid for be pretty silly, wouldn't it? In the meantime, your friend who paid for the meals has long left the restaurant, wondering why you didn't say thank you. That's what was going on in the Galatian church. There was a meal that had been paid for. There was a a debt that had been paid, and they were trying to add to it somehow. And you know what? 98% of the the religions in the world, 98% of them will teach you that. That you have to work your way to God. That you have to earn your standing with God. And Paul tells it to the Galatians this way in verse 3. Chapter 4, verse 3. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. You see that, that mindset that I've got to earn it that mindset that I've got to work my way toward God, that mindset that I've got to be better than the next guy, so I'm up here and he's here, that's of the world. That's of the world. That's not not what Jesus ever taught. Before Jesus, we were slaves to sin. Before Jesus, we were slaves to the law. And you know what? The law was there to show us how far we fell short to our own justification. The law was there to show us that we could never earn our own salvation, that we needed a savior. Jesus was the only one who could ever pay that bill. 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6 say it this way, for there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man who? Christ Jesus. He gave his life to what? Purchase freedom for everyone. Yeah, we can celebrate that. See, bottom line is Jesus is the only one who could pay the tab. Jesus was the only one who could pay the bill. Our sin created a debt that was so large only Jesus could pay it. And that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did. Look what what Paul says next to the Galatians in verse 4. But when the right time came... God God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law, God sent him to what again? By freedom. For us who were slaves to the law. I like how Rick Warren puts it. And I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm not going to be able to tell it exactly like he does. But he says let me give you a picture of what Jesus' death on the cross did to purchase our freedom. So imagine, imagine you're at at a busy marketplace. I like to think of like one of the outdoor Middle Eastern marketplaces where there's just a lot of activity. There's trading going on, you're out there, it's very busy. And in the middle of this marketplace, there's an auction happening. And there's lots of bidders who are bidding. And, and, and all of a sudden, you realize you're in the middle of that auction, and you're the one being bid on. And as each bid, each bidder, shouts out their bid, you look in that stranger's eyes and you wonder, is he kind or is he cruel? Will he treat me well or will he treat me poorly? And as the auction winds down and you hear the auctioneer say, going once, going twice, all of a sudden another stranger stands up and bids a thousand times more than the previous high bid. It's a bid so high that it could never be matched, let alone be. And as the auctioneer moves to hastily accept that bid, you look in that stranger's eyes and you realize, he's not buying me to treat me as a slave. He's buying me to set me free. And that's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for us. The price is paid. Amen? Amen. You see, the price was so high that you couldn't possibly pay it. And so what the Galatians were doing is they not only were trying to pay for something that was already paid for, they are trying to pay it with a currency that just wouldn't work. Works. Jesus paid it for us. And we can't purchase it again, and we shouldn't try. Because unwise comparisons that lead to misguided efforts, or simply because we often have a a case of mistaken identity. We forget who we are in Christ, and that's what happened with the Galatians. They forgot who they were. They forgot who God made them. You have this in your notes, that when Christ sets you free, you are adopted into the family of God as an heir who has an inheritance. If we continue in Galatians 4, 4, and 5... The last part of five so born of a woman subject to the law God sent him to buy freedom for those of us who were slaves to the law so that he could what adopt us as his very own children I'm wearing an adopt shirt today because I think adoption's a miraculous thing it's awesome I'm adopted I have a sister who's adopted and I don't know a whole lot about my biological parents um, other than that my dad was really no longer in the picture, uh, that my biological mother um, had some drug abuse kind of issues that caused there to be concern for my health when I was born. And so I wasn't adopted until I was a little less than a year old. Um, but I thank God that my biological mom decided to put me up for, ad- for adoption because that made me available to a family who chose me? Who chose to love me? You see, my parents tell the story this way, that um, they drove from Crook, Colorado, about as far northeast in the state as you can get, to Grand Junction, which is about as far west in the state as you can get. And I, I was with a foster family for, for most of that time, and, and so they, they come to the foster house and, and uh, sit down and you know, take care of whatever needed to be taken care of. And when it was time to go, when that moment came, my parents tell the story that, you know, they got up and went to walk out and, and my dad reached down and I just grabbed his, grabbed his finger, grabbed his hand. and I just walked out with him. Like it was, like that's exactly what was supposed to happen. Somewhere in my child-like heart, I knew this was my family. You see, I... I That day, I became a Dickinson. That day, I became a Dickinson, not because of anything I did, not any work that I achieved, but because I had parents who chose to love me, and they came and they paid a price for me. Now, my price, believe it or not, (laughs) adoption fee in 1973, was about 60 dollars. My sister likes to say I was on sale. <laughs> Many of you know Richard Durbin and Rachel. Richard's our worship arts director, and Rachel, his wife. They adopted this precious little girl last year named Nora. And uh, you know what? Nora became a Durbin. Not because of anything she had done, not because of any work she achieved, but because she had parents who chose to love her and paid a price. Now her price was significantly more expensive and if you saw side-by-side you'd understand why. (laughs) The bottom line is she had parents who chose to love her. I had parents who chose to love me and they chose me and they came and they reached down and they said you're part of our family now and they paid a price and you know what? I was. I was because they said I was. And I want you to understand that God paid the price for our adoption, not just to cover our sin, yes, to cover our sin, but that was the price that needed to be paid for us to be able to be adopted as children of God. See, before Jesus, we were slaves to the law. We were slaves to sin. It was all about what you could do, what you couldn't do, how far you fell short, who was better than who and why. But now that we're adopted children of God, Paul tells the Galatians this. In verses 6 and 7, he said, And because we are his children, God God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, Abba there, it's not the Swedish pop band. Yeah, there's very few people that are old enough to get that reference, I think. Abba is an Aramaic word that just means daddy. Just means daddy. It's a loving term. My 10-year-old, Tyler, doesn't even, know, doesn't even know he does it sometimes. But he calls me Daddy. And you know what? I love it. I love it. I absolutely love it. He's waving at me in the stands. <laughs> I love it. We cry, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are His child, God made you His heir. Not just, not just a little human, not just a small person, a child of God, an heir. That, that Greek word for, for child and children there it is pronounced huios, huios, And what it means is a son by birth or adoption. But not just a son, not just a male child. Anyone sharing the same nature as their father. And that's the thing that Paul wanted the Galatian church to understand, and what I want you to understand today, is that when we are adopted into the family of God, we're given a new nature. We can't go back. We're no longer a slave, but now we're a son. Now we're a daughter. Now we're somebody who's an heir, who has an inheritance, who has been given the same nature as their father. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says it this way. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? A new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. You know, I wasn't born a Dickinson. I became one. Not through my own works, not because of anything I did, but through the miracle of adoption. And you know what? A lot of people say that even though There's no genetic connection. And I'm a lot like my dad. As Christians, we're not born children of God. But through faith in Jesus, we become one. Not through our own works, not through what we've earned, not through what we've done, but because he says so. The miracle of adoption, we're given a new nature. See, Jesus made the way. And only Jesus could make the way. Jesus made the way for us to go from slave to son, from bondage to freedom. And I just got to tell you this, that when Christ sets you free, stay free. Stay free. Father, I just pray today that this message will speak and has spoken to those of us who may Occasionally suffer from mistaken identity. Who tend to make unwise comparisons and measure ourselves against each other. Compare others' highlight reels to our behind the scenes and know that we fall short. Lord, I pray for us who sometimes have misguided efforts who try to to earn the approval of you or each other. Right now with every head bowed if you are here today and and you say yeah I, I know the Lord but to be honest there's times I don't realize the child of God that I am and I compare myself to other people their highlight reels to my behind the scenes and I worry about how far I fall short if that's you today I'd like to pray for you specifically can you just raise your hand with me my hands up as well hands everywhere hands everywhere let's pray Heavenly Father Thank you for making us children of God. That we're not slaves, but we're sons. We're children that have your nature. We're children who are heirs to your inheritance. Father, I pray that as we go about our days and and we are tempted to compare other people's highlight reels to our behind the scenes, I pray that your voice would be the, the one that calms us, the one that tells us how much we're worth how much you have said we're worth. I pray that we would look to you for our worth. I pray that we would look to you and just be joy-filled knowing that we're a child of God. With every head still bowed, if you're here today and, and you hear me talk about being adopted and you hear me talk about being a child of God, but you can't pinpoint the day that you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior by faith you don't know if you've ever made that decision today's a good day to do that today's a good day to, to join the family of God to have that adoption miracle occur so if you're here today and you want to make that choice it's easy the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved it's that easy And the way we call on the name of the Lord is through prayer. So if that's you, I'm going to lead in a prayer. And if you just want to follow along in your heart, it's not magic words. The prayer itself, there's nothing magical about it. It's the the sincerity of our heart that make the words true that matter. So Heavenly Father, for those today here, don't know you, I pray this. Father, I need Jesus. I want to be adopted into the family of God. I want my inheritance to be secure in you. I want eternal life. I know I fall short. I know my works can't pay the debt that has been accumulated against me. So Lord, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I accept the price he paid that I could be adopted into the family of God. And in my heart, I accept by faith the grace that you give me to be your child. In Jesus' name. With every head still bowed, eyes still closed, nobody looking around except me. If you made that decision today for the first time to to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, to become part of the family of God, would you just slip up your hand for me? I'd like to pray for you by name. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but I want to know so I can pray for you. have got a hand here, hands here, hand back there, I see you. Hand over here. I see you, I see you. Let's pray for these who have made decisions for Christ. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would just bless these, that you would come alongside these who have made decisions for you, that you would show them what it means to be a child of God, that they are accepted, that they are adopted, not because of anything they did, but by the grace and faith that you have for them. You you have faith in them just like we have faith in you, Lord. So, Father, I pray for these, that you would guide them, that you'd give them the next steps to follow you. Ask your blessing over them in Jesus' name. We celebrate, church, the decisions made for Christ today. That's worth celebrating, for sure, for sure. If you made a decision for Christ today, if you decided in your heart that you wanted to be part of the family, I just ask that you mark that decision on your connection card and drop it in the offering bucket as, as, uh, as it goes by today. Um, basically, we would like to be able to pray for you by name. And we have a book called Seven Steps to Joy that we'll, that we'll send to you in the mail that'll help you in your newfound walk with Christ. And also, if you're a first-time guest here today, um, hopefully you filled out, that, filled out that connection card. If you'll drop that in the offering bucket when it goes by, guests, We're not interested in your money today, first-time guest, but we are interested in you. So we do have a thank you card and a, and a free gift to send to you as well. In a moment, we're gonna close in a song of worship and worship with our giving and our tithes and offerings. Uh, You know what? Because we want to be a church that acts our wage, that gives first, saves second, and lives on the rest. It's been a pleasure being with you today. Thanks for the opportunity. Pastor Doug will be back next week. God bless you guys. Love you.